Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. When New York Times Magazine staff writer Susan Dominus began reporting her cover story on menopause, she was surprised by the number of women and people going through it that she'd met who'd resigned themselves to hot flashes, poor sleep, brain fog, and depression, all common symptoms of menopause. There was a near universal acceptance that this was their new reality. But in fact, There are therapies like hormone treatment to address these symptoms, yet few seem to know about them. We look at why menopause is still so undertreated and misunderstood after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. What if there was something that caused things like hot flashes, brain fog, discomfort, and poor sleep that was affecting millions of people and had a treatment for it that was often overlooked or even denied? What you have then is a depressingly accurate picture of menopausal care in America. That's what New York Times Magazine staff writer Susan Dominus came to realize when she started researching menopause or the end of one's menstrual cycles. This hour, we'll look at why a transition that happens to more than half the population has often been stigmatized, shrouded in silence, or misunderstood, and how that's changing. Joining me first is Susan Dominus, whose viral New York Times Magazine cover story is called Women Have Been Misled About Menopause. Susan Dominus, welcome to Forum. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Really glad to have you. Uh, Did you have a sense your piece would be as popular as it's been, that you were tapping into something when you decided to write about it? I mean, I, it, on the one hand, because my friends and I all knew so little, um, we had the feeling that many other women were completely in the dark. But at the same time, I know I did not anticipate that it would be as widely shared as it apparently has been. It's been, it's been pretty wild, actually. <laughs> what happened when you would mention to people that you were writing about it, like at dinner parties and things like that? Um, women would look at me wild-eyed and wide-eyed and say, what, like, what did you learn? What do I need to know? What do I do? Like, or, or they would say, thank you. Meaning like, I know nothing. We know nothing. It was, it was really amazing. And, and I also, you know, started asking women questions about what they were going through and over and over again, over and over again, I was really shocked by how much women were suffering and, were not getting care, um, either weren't seeking it out or 
it came up in passing in conversation with the doctor and then the conversation just zoomed past it. And I mean, these were women who were really suffering. Oh, yeah. Talk about some of the symptoms that they would share with you. I was surprised how intense and even debilitating they were in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. I had one friend who um, just was having actually, you know, 10 hot flashes a day. She wasn't sleeping. She was having night sweats. Um, she was definitely depressed. Um, and I think she really started to feel like she could not do her fiduciary job, you know, uphold her responsibility. She was, she was thinking about leaving the workforce. Another woman I knew um, told me she'd stopped writing because when she went through menopause, she lost the words. Lost the words, the brain fog, people ending their careers. And as you point out, there was a treatment for them or ways to manage it. Did they seem to know about it? You know, one of them, I think the woman who told me that she stopped writing, I think that she um, that happened to her right at a time when there was peak fear about hormone therapy. Um, the the woman who I mentioned more recently went through this. The doctor had mentioned it. Um, my friend had said, I don't know, I'm, I'm nervous about the cancer risks. And then the conversation moved on. And it was really only when she told me what was going on that I said, you know, yes, you have to think about your cancer risk. But you're not contraindicated, meaning you're not somebody who is not a candidate for this. Like you need to talk to somebody who knows a little bit more about hormone therapy because her quality of life had completely tanked and she was in a very bad way. So she actually did see care um, and she, she did go on hormone therapy. She did make that choice. And uh, it, it really did turn her life around quite dramatically. You used the word dismissed earlier when some people would bring up their symptoms with their doctors. What were some of those experiences that they would describe to you? You know, one friend was with a very young gynecologist who said, do you have any hot flashes? And my friend said, you know, or, you know, how are you, are they affecting your sleep? My, my friend said, oh, I have one a night. I mean, what she didn't really get into was that she was waking up once a night, drenched in sweat, you know, um, and, and the gynecologist sort of waved her hand and said, you know, okay, let's move on as if, you know, there was some kind of magic number that determined whether or not this was worth a conversation or not. I, I think it was worth a conversation. I don't know if that friend would have opted for hormone therapy, but it was certainly worth discussing. We all know how important it is to get a good night's sleep and to be woken up once a night drenched in sweat. That affects a lot. Yeah, has a really big ripple effect. What, what did you find when you tried to bring it up initially with your own doctor? I, first I brought up, you know, for me, even though I had other symptoms, for me, the most salient problem was, was uh, brain fog, which is a common um, symptom that women uh, report during perimenopause. And it has in fact been documented in at least 20% of women. And um, I, my doctor just said, you know, that could just be normal aging. And um, which just says to me now that she actually wasn't that familiar with the literature on, on perimenopause because we know that is a real phenomenon. And so, you know, it's from the very outset, I felt a little bit um, dismissed. Um, and then I, you know, talked about how I was having hot flashes and I was interested in hormone therapy. Um, and she, she sort of looked at me and said, you know, we only prescribe this for, for significant symptoms. Um, I don't know. I just didn't feel like there was a lot of space to talk about, uh, how, how significant were my symptoms? What was I going through? Um, how was my sleep? She, you know, so it, it didn't, it didn't feel like an open environment to me. Yeah. Did you feel like you were then wondering to yourself, I guess this isn't significant. Like what constitutes significant is, is what I'm going through significant enough? 
I, I did think that I, I was I doubted myself and I wondered if I was just whining and complaining, which is sort of, I think, at the heart of why a lot of women don't seek out help is they don't want to seem to be complaining about something that's just something women go through. You know, we all go through it. So why should I complain? Or, you know, just this is something that is our lot in life. I mean, I, I sometimes think when I think about the um, resignation that so many women I know feel about their menopausal symptoms, it's almost akin to how we all felt, you know, as young women in the era before Me Too about sexual harassment, like just telling each other, like, I'm sorry that happened, that's terrible, but not thinking there was anything that could ever be done about it, you know? So it's, it's I think that this sort of like, this is one's lot in life kind of feeling and who am I to complain? I think that is, um, you know, not uncommon among women. Yes. We're talking with Susan Dominus, who wrote the New York Times Magazine article, Women Have Been Misled About Menopause. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. What have you been told about menopause? Did you feel like you understood what you were going through when you went through it? Or maybe you want to tell us what your questions are about it, or even what you'd wish you'd been told. You can email forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. I want to bring two more people into the conversation right now. Dr. Stephanie Fabian is medical director for the North American Menopause Society, also the director of the Center for Women's Health at the Mayo Clinic. Dr. Fabian, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Also, Omi Shade, Bernie Scott, creator of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause is here. Omi Shade, thanks for being here as well. It is my pleasure to be here. So Dr. Fabian, I'll, I, I want to get into it with you a little bit. Just can you explain what is happening when we're going through menopause in the body? Well, menopause is defined by no periods for one year, um, but what's happening, uh, and that actually starts to happen before you don't have periods for a year, is that your estrogen um, produced from the ovary is declining over time. Uh, and so there are symptoms associated with that. And it, uh, let's be clear, not every woman is going to have symptoms, but the majority of women do. Probably about 75% of us are going to have some hot flashes and night sweats. But there's a whole bunch of other symptoms like sleep disturbances and mood disturbances and palpitations and uh a whole bunch of other things that women experience during this time. So it's it's really a conglomeration of symptoms, um, but it all reflects the declining estrogen levels that we see around menopause. So there's menopause, and then there's the period before menopause called perimenopause. And then is there a stage after that as well? Well, menopause... Typically, I mean, if you if you want to get down to the technicalities, last like a day, but if, after that, you're postmenopause. Wow. So, um, so <laughs> these are terms that probably get confusing. Um, but a lot of women just use the term menopause for postmenopause, and and I think either one is fine for the purposes of discussion. Okay. Well, Omishade, Day, when you were going through perimenopause, did you know what was happening to you? No, I, I didn't know what was happening to me. And actually what Dr. Fabian and also Susan lift up is this is not a conversation that is actually kind of explored or talked about in any consistent or intentional way for so many reasons, right? I mean, the first time we ever hear the, the language or the title of menopause is actually in 1821, right? And that was by a French physician who 
use that as um, an explanation to problematize women's health, right? Mm. You know, this is the way we assert um, female fragility in mind, body, and spirit. And it's another opportunity to oppress women identified people um, at that time in the growing field of menopause. And so certainly I did not have that information. I had a lot of information prior to my first menstrual cycle. And I had pretty decent information before I gave birth to my first son and absolutely more information before I gave birth to my second son. But it was when I experienced a pregnancy loss at 40 that my OBGYN, who was phenomenal, um, expressed to me that it was not uncommon for perimenopausal women to experience pregnancy loss. And I was like, this is language I've not heard before. What is peri? And so then we had this whole conversation about menopause being a spectrum. And like Dr. Fabian explained, like the real piece of menopause is that 366 day that you don't have your menstrual cycle. And so there's a lot of misinformation and confusion out there. And that's why four years ago, we decided that we would launch this narrative shift and culture shift multidisciplinary project to center the experiences of Black women, women identified and gender expansive people whose stories are still invisibilized and muted in this beautiful, amazing, growing landscape we find ourselves in. And what do you most often hear, Omi Shade, for doing that, for starting this podcast, for trying to center the experiences of Black women and people who go through menopause, anyone who goes through menopause? Sure. I mean, the first thing we hear is thank you. Uh, The second thing um, we hear from people is, I'm so glad I'm not alone. I had no idea. Um, I felt like I was going insane. I felt like I was um, dying. I was very confused. You know, there are generations of Black women um, identified in gender expansive people in the U.S. who have struggled to feel agency over our bodies. You know, since our enslavement, whiteness and the experiences of white people has been centered as the norm and experiences outside of that tend to be othered or marginalized or dehumanized. So in the fields of health equity, women's health, aging and reproductive rights, it's important for us to bring the people who are at the margins to the center If not, we're replicating these same systems of oppression that are responsible for implicit bias. More after the break. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about menopause and the recent article by Susan Dominus in the New York Times magazine titled Women Have Been Misled About 
menopause. And I'm joined by Susan Dominus, staff writer for New York Times Magazine, Dr. Stephanie Fabian, medical director for the North American Menopause Society, also the director of the Mayo Clinic Center for Women's Health, and Omi Shade Bernie Scott, creator of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. And I'm being joined by you, our listeners, telling us what you were told about menopause, maybe something that you've come to question. Do you feel like you understood what you were going through when you went through menopause? Have you sought treatment for symptoms of menopause and been rebuffed or told that you just needed to soldier through. You can call us at 866-733-6786. You can email forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum. Let me go to caller Rosie in Palo Alto. Hi, Rosie. You're on. Hi, Nina. Thank you for taking my call. And thank you, Susan, for that fabulous article, which I forwarded to all my perimenopausal friends. Um, I'm 51 I've been dealing with perimenopause uh, for about eight years. I finally hit menopause last year. And what was really baffling to me was the lack of information, the lack of feedback from the older generations. Like my mother kept dismissing my symptoms when I said, Mm -hmm. Mom, I'm having a hot flash. And she would go, oh, you're way too young to be going through menopause. And I'd be like, but it's happening. Um, And then I would talk to my doctor about it and say, hey, I'm having trouble sleeping. My brain feels funny. I am having anxiety attacks right around PMS times, but then my period doesn't come. I am, well, I mean, the weight gain and all of that you expect, and that was okay. But all these other symptoms, like, I don't know, finding my keys in the fridge one day because I'd forgotten where I'd put them, um, and I kept getting dismissed. And even my primary care doctor, female, kept trying to prescribe antidepressants rather than really listen to me until I finally said, okay, I'm calling my gynecologist. And at least she was honest enough, and she said, I'm too young, I haven't hit it yet, but from what I know, all the things that you're telling me are probably related to menopause. Um, and I also had some soft tissue degeneration, with, which led to surgery, and the male surgeon also dismissed the possibility that the sudden estrogen drop could be related. Mm-hmm. So it's really unbelievable, the lack of information, and I feel like now I am doing the job that the professionals should be doing of educating my fellow females um, that are maybe 10 years younger than I am about what to expect. And, and, you know, hey, when you go through this, talk to your doctor. And this is all part of perimenopause. So I think this discussion is so important. Well, Rosie, thank you for contributing to it. Dr. Fabian, Susan's article's title is Women Have Been Misled About Menopause. Do you think that is an accurate way of putting it? Well, I think instead of maybe uh, that, that implies some intention behind it. And, and I don't really think there has been intention around misleading women. I think it's been more because people are uninformed and I'm including physicians in that category. Um, so I, I think it's been unwittingly misled um, because, I, again, I don't think it was intentional. But I agree with the caller. I think um, many women are trying to soldier through and figure this out on their own. Um, and I see this really all the time in my patients. They come in and they've sought information from a, a number of sources, not all of them necessarily accurate. Um, and that's the scary part is, is we, we need to be able to counsel women on where to go for good information. And when providers don't know what to do about it, they should know where to refer people. But why don't providers know what to do about it, especially for something that more than half the population will go through? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think there are a number of reasons for that. So it is it is not really taught in medical school education or in residency programs anymore. We actually did a study on that and uh, confirmed those findings, um, published a, a, just a few years ago. Um, but most OBGYNs, family medicine and internal medicine residents have at most one to two hours of education on menopause management. And the majority in our study indicated that they did not feel prepared to manage menopause when they were out of residency. And that includes OBGYNs. Um, so, so the topic really isn't taught anymore. I think there are a number of reasons for that, um, in, including just a very jam-packed curriculum uh, for, for these different programs. But the, the sad result is that you have a bunch of uh, providers who are unprepared to address this. Yes, there was a, a pretty startling pull quote um, Susan Dominus in your piece where a doctor said that we have a high cultural tolerance for women's suffering. It's not regarded as important. Why was it so important for you to include that, Susan Dominus? I, I just the general idea that the, because there's no given that this affects half of the population, there's almost no way to explain the lack of research uh, about this subject other than to ag agree that it has something to do with this high tolerance for women's suffering. I mean, we still <laughs> barely understand the, you know, biomechanisms of a hot flash. You know, this is something that affects, as Dr. Fabian said, something like 75% of women at some point in their lives. And, um, it, you know, this, to some degree, the story of menopause and it, the, the lack of understanding and care and research about it is, is, is a story of women's health. Let me go to caller Marshall in Point Richmond. Marshall, you're on. Thank you, Mina. I went through, I finished menopause at age 46. Uh, that was 10 years ago. After about 10 or 12 years of perimenopause, my symptoms were horrific all along. One of the worst being severe chronic uh, frequent migraine, like 25 days a month of migraine. And because of that, uh, I was never, I, I asked for a hormone, I asked for some kind of treatment, and I was denied it, saying that it was too high of a stroke or cancer risk for me. Um, I'm 10 years past menopause, having gone through all the symptoms that you've talked about and, and more. I went through it while I was also going through divorce, lost my career, lost access to my grandchildren. I mean, I went through a decade of, basically a decade of hell. And I, I'm still not, I, I, it's too painful to have sex, I don't, so I don't have a partner. Um, I'm still not the organized, motivated, energetic person that I was prior to all of this. And I wonder, I'm 10 years on, is there any hope for me to get back to that, mm. to, to recover some of who I am. I mean, I'm crying just listening to this because it's so, it, it just, it's, my life is different. I am different. Yeah. Oh, Marshall, well, thank you for, for sharing your story, for your honesty, and for your question. And I can really hear the urgency in it, uh, Dr. Fabian. First, do you have an answer for Michelle, Marshall, in terms of what what Marshall can do to get her life back. Well, uh, without 
providing medical advice um, on, on air here, I, I think there are definitely things that can be done. And I would suggest that you see someone who is um, a knowledgeable menopause provider. Menopause.org is the North American Menopause Society website, and you can find a provider on that website that has been certified in menopause management. So that's a start. Um, sex should never be painful. There are easy, um, pretty simple solutions um, that, that can be tried for that. And so, yes, I would say a lot of those symptoms uh, can certainly be managed adequately. So I would encourage her to seek treatment. Hearing, Marshall, reminds me of something that you were telling our producer, Grace Wan, about how people who would come to you at Mayo Clinic would sometimes think they were, they were dying. Their symptoms were so intense. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about the symptoms uh, that people don't necessarily attribute to the menopause transition, I'm losing hair, I'm gaining weight, I'm sweating a lot, my heart's racing, I'm anxious, um, you know, sex is starting to hurt. All of that doesn't really compute to, oh, I'm going through menopause. Um, night sweats are associated with cancer, right? So, so people could easily think that something else is horribly wrong and, and attribute it to some life-threatening disease. So it, it's striking to me that I get women who are not coming to me for menopause consultations, but are coming to me as an internist saying, I'm thinking, I, I think I'm dying. You know, what do I do about it? And it's really menopause. Omi oh, Shade, the other thing that I feel like I'm hearing through this is just people being told they were too young, people maybe in some cases being dismissed. What advice do you have? Because I know that this is something you've thought about a lot in terms of the need to advocate for yourself with, with your doctor or healthcare provider. Well, that's definitely um, an important thing that all people who will experience menopause need support in figuring out. The first thing I would say is that we are all experts of our own body, whether we always understand exactly what's happening. We're, we, you're the person who's navigating with your body all day, every day. And so owning our own stories is a vital part of having agency over our experiences and, and our relationships. And so our ability to be able to say to our healthcare provider, this is what I'm experiencing. I am not sure why this is the case. I need your support in helping me figure this thing out should be a far gone conclusion, but we know that that doesn't always happen. Um, people don't feel like they have the ability to say exactly what it is that they're experiencing. And oftentimes when they do say what they're experiencing, they feel like they are being dismissed. And that gets exacerbated, honestly, when we're talking about people who exist outside of the gender binary. And we've talked quite a bit about the experiences of people who identify as women. But what we have not talked about um, is the experiences of cis, trans, intersex, queer, straight yeah people. And so when I talk about the work that we're doing with the Black Girls Guide to Surviving Menopause, we are certainly um, centering those stories and providing resources for folk to be able to have that agency. But we're also talking about the intersectional identities that we move with that tend to be invisibilized, unfortunately, inside of our medical experiences. Yes, it's compounded so much. And uh, well, we're getting also several questions about what has helped people. Tina writes, brain fog is a sugar-coated way of describing what can be debilitating. I could be at once loquacious 
and stifled. It was murder before hormone therapy. Another listener tweets, currently in my fourth month of bioidentical hormone treatment and embarrassed, I waited two years to try it. Hot flashes were several an hour, disturbing daily activities, not sleeping through the night, mood was constantly negative and irritable. So grateful for the hormone therapy. Dr. Fabian, is hormone therapy safe? Uh, that's a loaded question, right? Yes. Um, I, I think the best way to simplify it is for the majority of women who are under the age of 60 and within 10 years of menopause onset, the benefits typically outweigh the risks if women don't have absolute contraindications. And what do I mean by that? Uh, a, a contraindication or a reason a woman couldn't take hormone therapy would be a previous heart attack, a previous stroke, a history of breast cancer, a history of blood clot, or severe liver disease. So there are really f- few things that um, would entirely be a no-go uh, for hormone therapy. Um, so many women can take it. Um, there are potential risks associated with it. The one most women are concerned about is the breast cancer risk, which is actually quite small. Uh, So for women who have no uterus and just can take estrogen by itself, um, there there is no increased risk of breast cancer, according to the Women's Health Initiative study. But for women who have a uterus, which is most women, they need to take estrogen along with a progestogen to protect that uterine lining from growing too much. And that combination is associated with a slight increased risk of breast cancer. And that is to the tune of a less than one extra case per thousand women per year after about five years of therapy. It's about the same risk as drinking between one and two glasses of wine a night, the same as being overweight or obese, and the same as being inactive. So these are relatively small risks associated with breast cancer. Susan Dominus, when you were talking about um, how when you were initially bringing up with people that you were working on a story about menopause and about the fact that there is a treatment that exists, it did still seem like just in the, just this looming sense of fear or concern about hormone therapy. Why, after hearing Dr. Fabian describe it and helping us understand a more nuanced understanding of what the risks are, why did hormone therapy fall out of favor? What did you find out in your reporting? Um, Well, the Women's Health Initiative in 2002 um, found unexpectedly that there were these elevated risks um, associated with hormone therapy, such that it was no longer considered um, to be something that women should take for preventive care. Before the findings were released in 2002, many doctors did have the hope that it would be great for coronary heart um, health and that it would, that it was considered sort of this panacea. You know, one doctor I interviewed said she had a slide that she used to present that said estrogen should be in the, in the water. So like fluoride. So it was a big surprise to find that it was not the cure-all that people had hoped it was going to be. And because the study was stopped so precipitously and because the, these very small risks were not put in context, just as Dr. Fabian just did for us all at the time, there were headlines, there were press releases, there were news conferences, there were you know, t- televised appearances. Women just basically got the message, stop, throw your hormones away, they are dangerous, um, without understanding the nuances that there may, may be risks, but they were small. And for women who are really suffering, it might very well be worth it to, to, keep, to keep using the hormones. It was dramatic. It sounded like physicians went from 
um, having requests for it to those dropping precipitously. Insurance carriers were no longer seeing any of that being asked to be covered in really significant ways, massive drops. It is pretty amazing the degree to which that understanding of hormone therapy spread. Susan Dominus, as you're hearing people describe how it's worked for them, have you yourself gone on it and is it working for you? <laughs> um, well, it's funny because I mean, the first thing we should say is when people talk about brain fog is th there is no really good um, evidence to suggest that um, going on hormones does help with um, any kind of cognitive issues women are having. But I think there one can only assume that it does help with um, sleep because it, it suppresses the, um, the night sweats. So I, I actually... I did go on a very low dose birth control. Um, and I definitely found that I was sleeping better. People around me seem to think, you know, for whatever reason that, uh, you know, <laughs> I was driving my sister even crazier than usual with my kind of, you know, fogginess. And um, she definitely thinks it's gotten better. And I, you know, just that I'm sleeping better is, you know, I'm thrilled and I'm not having hot flashes anymore. And I'm really thrilled about that. Um, for women over 50, low-dose birth control, you know, something to think about just because um, it, it, there, is an, there is a risk of clotting. Um, and so I'm probably going to, now that I do feel that I'm benefiting from hormone therapy, I'll probably switch to um, an IUD for birth control, which I still need because I am still perimenopausal, um, and an estrogen patch, which is, you know, um, does not raise the risk of clotting the way that uh, a birth control pill does. That's my very personal and detailed story yeah. of, of where no, I am now. But I you actually <laughs> shared this. Yeah, in the New York Times Magazine, which was so was so refreshing. <laughs> I, I think I think a lot of doctors, when women are perimenopausal, um, women say, "I'm perimenopausal. I'm thinking about some help." And doctors generally say, "Well, until you," I mean, or at least to be honest, this is what happened to me with a different doctor. You know, she said, "Well, you're not you're not even menopausal yet. We can't talk about hormone. You're not mm -hmm. postmenopausal, so we can't talk about hormone therapy." But for women who are really struggling through perimenopause, there are options. I think that's important to know, Doctor Fabian. Some people have called it hormone replacement therapy. What do you think about replacement? Do you feel like it's a misnomer? Yes, we are trying to get rid of the R and HRT. So um, the, re the reason for that is for postmenopausal women, we're not trying to replace what the ovary used to make. We are not trying to get women back to a premenopausal state. We're just trying to aim for enough hormones to manage menopause symptoms, which is often a much, much lower dose uh, than what would get women back up to premenopausal levels. Um, and it's important to note that, you know, as Susan was talking about a birth control pill, postmenopausal hormone therapy is about one quarter to one fifth the dose of a birth control pill, um, mm. depending upon what dose is used. But that just tells you that it's a much, much lower dose than what's used in contraception in premenopausal women. We're talking about menopause this hour with Dr. Stephanie Fabian of the Mayo Clinic, Omishade Bernie Scott of Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, and Susan Dominus of the New York Times Magazine, and you, our listeners. Stay with us for more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about menopause, how women have been misled about menopause, which is the title of Susan Dominus's New York Times Magazine piece. And taking your questions, listeners, what have you been told about menopause? What do you wish you had been told? What are your questions? And we'd love to hear what's the positive side of this time of your life, the positive side of menopause. Email forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Lynn writes, I am menopausal and was not surprised my mother's generation did not say much about menopause for a couple of reasons. First, my mother and her peers were automatically put on hormone replacement therapy, so neither they nor their doctors experienced menopause. Second, women are definitely valued for their appeal to men, and as we grow older, we appeal to fewer and fewer men, so menopause was considered a catastrophe. That was some of the early stigma that I think you, Susan Dominus, have written about. Another listener writes, what I can't figure out is why people don't talk about how great postmenopausal life is. Total freedom from the hormonal roller coaster, both in mood and physically. No more cramps, tender breasts, bleeding, PMS, and so much more. I tell every younger woman I know it's awesome. Also, there's a huge age variation that people don't seem to understand. I went through Perry at age 38 and was complete at 42. That's a fact. Let me go to caller Julia next. Hi, Julia, you're on. Yes, hi. I really appreciate this um, program because it is something that people don't talk about enough. Um, and I, um, I'm i pretty much past it, but I never wanted to take hormone therapy because of the risk. And because years ago, I learned about some of the horm- the estrogen hormones. I know some are plant-based, but others come from pregnant um, horse urine, and they have to keep the horses pregnant, and then they have to deal with the babies. And anyway, it it sounds like a horrible situation. So I I I just opted to not go that route because of the risks and the potential harmful benefits to the horses. Um, so with that, I w- I'm just wondering what are some other options? I've had friends in the past who have turned to Chinese herbs, and, and they have, they've been effective. I don't know if they're effective for everyone, but um, I'm just wondering if your guests can talk about some of the other options other than hormone therapy. Well, well, Dr. Fabian, is Julia right in terms of the source of the hormones? And then also just in terms of alternatives, what are alternatives, are there any that you recommend? Uh, okay, f- to address the first question, um, most conjugated equine estrogens are now synthetically derived um, and are not made from pregnant mare's urine, but we have many other quote-unquote bioidentical options that are approved by the FDA. Um, the, the actual chemical compound that our ovaries used to make premenopausally is called estradiol, and estradiol is available FDA approved in your local pharmacy in many different forms, including pills, patches, rings, gels, sprays, et cetera, in many different doses. So um, there, there are bio, quote unquote, bioidentical forms available. 
Um, as for non-hormonal things, uh, we are just about to publish the non-hormone therapy position statement for the North American Menopause Society, and I will sneak peek. Um, there are no over-the-counter herbs or supplements that are effective for hot flash management. Um, so we'll just get that off the table. Um, there are non-hormonal prescription drugs that are um, have been studied and, and are at least somewhat helpful for hot flash management. So the um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or the SSRIs, antidepressants, have been shown to um, be effective in reducing hot flashes by about 50, maybe 60%, whereas hormone therapy will reduce them by about 90 to 95%. And there's a new drug that may be coming on the market as of later this month. Um, it's going before the FDA on February 23. It's called Fezolinotont, and it's a new class of medication that actually tries to get at hot flashes in the hypothalamus, so that part of the brain that we believe is involved in generating a hot flash. So stay tuned. There may be a new uh, non-hormonal medication that's FDA approved. Oh, wow. It sounded like you, you were feeling like that statement about <laughs> earlier, th that the alternatives there really wasn't one was going to be received as controversial. A am I right? <laughs> or have a big reaction? Because there's a lot of people who believe that it does. Well, there's a big think, market out there that tells you it does. <laughs> I think there's a lot of things being marketed that don't really have evidence to support their use. Um, so I would say, you know, buyer beware. And if uh, something is advertised to say that it works for hot flashes, really look at the evidence. Actually, non-hormonal things that have been proven to work uh, for hot flashes are cognitive behavioral therapy and hypnosis. So those are two of the things that really have do have evidence to support their use. Well, this listener writes, it's important for women to share their experiences with menopause to help with this transition. My mom was very good at preparing me for what to expect, so I was able to navigate my symptoms, which were way more than hot flashes. They are included on a weekly, if daily basis, anxiety, panic attacks, spaced out feelings. Now at 60, most all these symptoms have magically disappeared, and I'm grateful to have gone through it all without hormone therapy in this listener's case. And Omi Shade, that's really something that is important to you. The recognition that the experience of this is so varied. There are people who go through it who don't experience any symptoms and suddenly their menstrual cycles and, and there are others for whom it is very intense. As we move toward talking about it more and normalizing menopause, what are some of the things that you want to make sure or worry you so that we can keep those in mind in terms of how it gets discussed and who gets centered? Sure. Um, you know, one of the things that we say is that menopause is a physical, cultural, and political experience. And so when we talk about the physical experiences of all people who will be navigating menopause or have navigated menopause, we are trying to infuse that conversation um, with all kinds of voices and truisms that would help people address in a much more intentional way the kind of physical support that people might need or mental health support that people might need. Um, we are trying to infuse and disrupt the stigma and the stereotypes that um, are fraught with um, ageism and sexism. Um, and we are also trying to support people in thinking about what does intersectional research look like that is much more robust? I'm very excited about the work that NAMS has been doing and the conversations that they've been 
holding in the papers, I had an opportunity to be on a panel at the International Menopause Society Conference in Lisbon, Portugal. And so much of the conversation in Lisbon was around provider preparedness and patient treatment. And what does it look Mm -hmm. like to facilitate a much more intentional, grounded relationship with your patient? And the first thing that you need to be able to do is to see your patient in their full personhood. So you can't see me. I can't see you. The listeners are listening. They can't see me. You can make an assumption about who I am and how I identify based on the fact that I run a multidisciplinary platform called the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. I have not been asked if I identify as a woman. I have not been asked, um, is my Blackness U.S. based or am I Mm -hmm. Afro-Latina? I have not been asked my age. And so there are a lot of assumptions that can be made about the individual experiences and then have a deep, deep and sometimes disturbing impact on how people are being supported and treated. And so I think it's very important for all of us to move with a level of consciousness, curiosity, study, analysis and understanding. And I think at a real basic level, everybody who's experiencing menopause should be seen in their fullest personhood, no matter how they gender identify or no matter their racial or ethnicity. Amishata, you've also been thinking a lot about how we should reframe menopause. Uh What would you like to see around that? Well, I think of menopause as one of the many liminal experiences we have as human beings. You know, from the moment we take our first breath to the moment we take our last, there are all of these really important, potent transitions that we experience in our lives. I think about myself specifically and the fact that both my parents are ancestors at this point. I've also gone through a divorce. I am 10 years postmenopausal and will be 56 in April. I have a child who's gone to college. I have one who's in high school. And so in these liminal experiences, my roles inside of my relationships, inside of my community, inside of the social justice work that I do shifts and transforms. And, you know, you study anthropology, you know that liminality can be a little challenging if you don't feel like you know what's going to happen. And so I think of menopause as a liminal experience that deserves more support. I think it deserves more sunlight. I think it um, deserves more conversation. I'm so excited for the article that Susan wrote. And we were um, talking about this last week about the, the, the notion of being misled and how does that translate across gender and how it translates across class and sexuality. So... I want people to know that however you are experiencing um, menopause and or aging, because we conflate the two for a lot of reasons, um, that you should be supported no matter what that, the case may be. We, we just wrote an op-ed piece for Oprah Daily, um, really trying to encourage people to not engage in binary conversation where there is normal or not normal, black or white. It's too nuanced and it's too individualized. And that's a dangerous slippery slope into reinforcing racism and patriarchy. Dr. Fabian, do you try to reframe menopause for your patients? And if so, how? Uh, I think I spend most of my time trying to explain menopause uh, to many women Um, in terms of reframing it. I I think it depends on where women are coming in with it. Some of them don't, don't have a lot of structure around what they think about menopause. Uh, Some of them are actually feeling kind of strange talking about it. And so I try to normalize it for my patients. 
Um, but, but I think everyone's experience is a little different, like you just heard. Um, and so I think it's important for me as a provider to really try to understand where the patient is and where they're coming from. And then if there are negative connotations about it, I don't think we should have that. I mean, I think it's important for us to remember menopause is a ubiquitous experience for women. That is 100% of us are going to go through this if we're fortunate enough to live long enough. Um, and so I think it, it's a normal process. It shouldn't be thought of as a disease state, um, but some women struggle with it. And so, so we need to treat it like it's a normal body process, which it is. Dr. Stephanie Fabian is medical director of the North American Menopause Society, director of the Center for Women's Health at the Mayo Clinic. Omi Shade Bernie Scott is creator of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. And Susan Dominus is a staff writer for New York Times Magazine who's written a piece called Women Have Been Misled About Menopause. This is a fundraising period for many public radio stations. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to caller Catherine next. Hi, Catherine. You're on. Hi. Um, Thanks for taking my call, and thank you so much for this program. Um, I want to speak as someone who is chronically ill and disabled by my illnesses and who has been um, disabled for many years now. I've been in perimenopause for probably 10 years, and I just wanted to raise more awareness about the relationship between hormones and hormone fluctuations and uh, serious disabling chronic illness. And I think it's important also in light of what's gone on with the pandemic and long COVID, and many long COVID patients are being diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, which is officially known as myalgic encephalomyelitis. I have tracked you know, my symptoms over across the months and across the years uh, for many years. And there is such a strong link in terms of how much better or worse my various symptoms are, depending on where I am in my, you know, monthly cycle. So I'm talking about, you know, fibromyalgia and chronic pain, uh, cognitive issues, the chronic fatigue, endocrine problems, digestive problems, migraines, and other neurological problems, whether or not I have a flare of POTS Mm. or not, which a lot of um, chronic, um, a lot of long COVID people are getting diagnosed with. So anyway, I just want to make a call for so much more awareness and research into the link between hormone fluctuations and these various conditions. Well, Catherine, thank you. Appreciate that. Um, Another listener writes, now that the window of opportunity has passed for me to take hormones, I am 61. What treatments are available to me? I've had hot flashes, night sweats, migraines, anxiety, depression, and sleep deprivation for nearly 10 years. Another listener wants to know what age should women stop hormones? I don't know if you just have any insights. I know you don't want to dispense specific medical advice, Dr. Fabian, but any insights for either of these listeners? Sure. Uh, Let me just emphasize that we do have treatments available for those bothersome symptoms that occur after the age of 60. And and I would suggest, again, seek out someone who's knowledgeable about menopause management and menopause.org is a great place to do that. Um, But, and what was the second question? Sorry. What age should women stop? 
Yep. So th we, there's no definite age cutoff for hormone therapy now. Um, although we initially were saying the mantra was three to five years, and there was really no scientific basis for saying three to five years. Hmm. Um, and so we now s say that there shouldn't be a definite age cutoff. We know that at some point, cardiovascular risks start to go up because as we age, we get more vascular disease. And so, you know, does the light switch flip at age 60? Probably not, but there's a gradation to where as we get older, the risk may be greater. So it just takes a, a yearly assessment with your medical provider to say, does hormone therapy still make sense for me? Is there anything new going on with my health that would influence that decision-making? Do we know anything new about hormone therapy that would influence the decision-making? And why am I taking it? Am I, am I managing symptoms? Are they adequately managed? Do they still need managing? So it really is an annual assessment of all of those things. Hmm. Let me go to Lillian Novato. We just have a minute left. Lillian, what's on your mind? Oh, thank you. Thank you for this program. Thank you all for your contribution. I'm a big fan of Black girls. I want to leave us with this. I'm coming up on 61 and the, and the other listeners who have talked about um, reaching a, a good place. Quote, there is no greater power in the world than the zest of a postmenopausal woman. There are more women alive today who have started or finished menopause than any other time in human history. And so I've been talking about uh, turn on your menopausal superpowers <laughs> because, and imagine if we turn them on together, because not only are there more of us, but qualitatively, look at the education, the uh, independence, the quality of life for women. And, that, and now we're living a third of our life in this phase. If we work together in the spirit of this program, what could we do to change the condition that the women who've been suffering that they're going through and the other possibilities. The UK, they've got a movement over there that's on fire for a menopause revolution. What if we did something like that here? So thank you so much. So yeah, turn on your menopausal superpowers and, and get the help that we need and let's lift this up to an, let's not only focus on the negative, let's focus on the benefits because there are many, especially as you get to the other side. Thank you so much. Thank you well, for this. Thank you thank for your, all of your work. Thank you, Lillian. I love that so much. And my thanks to you, Susan Dominus, for inspiring this whole conversation. So glad to have you on. Thank you so much. Susan Dominus's piece is Women Have Been Misled About Menopause in the New York Times Magazine. Dr. Stephanie Fabian, thank you so much as well for being on with us. Thank you. Medical Director for the North American Menopause Society and also Director of the Mayo Clinic Center for Women's Health. Omi Shade Bernie Scott, creator of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. So appreciate your insights too. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you, Grace Wan, for producing today's segment. And thank you, listeners, for bringing yourselves to this conversation. You have been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.